Hey, good morning. Hey, let's dive in. Uh, we're in the second part of our series. If you weren't here last week, I'd recommend that you watch that online. The, uh, the series we're in is about faith. And a lot of you ask why sometimes we pick series. Uh, I said last week, I'll say it again. Really, there are three determining factors for us to, to pick series. One, I look at what's happening in the world. And when you ask people what is faith in the world, it's all over the map. Uh, the ideas of faith are very, very uh, distorted, um, at least from a biblical perspective. And so that's one. Another factor is what's happening in our church. And when you think about uh, our culture here in Green Bay, we come out of a very uh, Catholic mindset about that. And again, I'm not demonizing that, but a lot of how we've operated in religious habit in our culture has formed in some ways a distorted picture of faith. The third really is, to be really honest with you, it's something I'm challenged with. The, the more I'm reading through the scriptures, the more I'm inspired and challenged about my own faith. And so we wanted to dive into a, a series about faith because we find that Jesus talks about it, especially in the Gospels, about affirming faith with different people and, and measures of faith and where does faith come from. And so we have three objectives that we're wanting to accomplish this series. We always try to put out objectives. What's our goal? We're not just trying to feed you information, but what are we trying to do? First is we really hope that you evaluate your faith. We've used the orange as, as an interesting metaphor, and you know, metaphors can fail eventually if you figure, you know, they don't work out perfectly. But the idea is faith is not a bunch of parts. But really, we can take some time to peel back, and what we want you to do is peel back the layer and look at your own faith. Don't as much try to look at everybody else's faith and measure up to everybody else. We want you to look at your own faith. Let God and his Holy Spirit really begin to peel back some of the layers through the series, and you investigate what kind of faith do you have. You may not have a faith. And I don't want you to feel shamed by that, but we do want you to evaluate it. And so the second goal of our series is to ask God for more faith. The scripture says that we can't just build our faith. We don't do that on our own. It's not man-made. It's not fabricated. It comes from God. And the scripture even says, ask God. Ask God to give you more faith. And I don't know if you've been there in your life. Maybe it's how you came to Christ. Uh, you, you were there in your room or somewhere and Life was hitting you hard and you just said, God, please, I want to know if you're there. I want to know if you're real or please answer this. And you, it's, a, it's a cry for faith. Some of you have not done that this morning. And so our hope is that you would ask God for more faith no matter where you're at. The third thing is to respond to your faith. And maybe more appropriately this morning for a church body that claims to know Jesus, community church, and we gather here every week. Uh, to celebrate the name of Christ through song, through giving, through serving, um, through loving and fellowshipping with the body, through teaching. But if that's true, how do we respond? What does that look like in the world? And so we find often people will talk about a faith, but it has no response. What we're kind of poking at a little bit in our own lives this morning is, is it really true faith? And James half-brother of Jesus would say no, that a faith that doesn't have a living response is probably not faith at all. And so we, we hit last week the first verse in the chapter uh, 11 of Hebrews. It's a book in the a New Testament, and he writes, this, this writer, about these, 
this whole chapter about faith, about these, these men and women who were commended for their faith. And we just used verse 1 last week just to break out a little bit more about what faith is. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So we'll talk a bit about what faith is, but let me just clarify from last week and adding a couple more pieces. What, isn't, what is faith not? What isn't faith? First, faith is not a feeling. We said that, we named our series that because often I have heard, and I don't know if you've heard it before, I feel close to God. I don't feel close to God. We use that term a lot about feeling. And if you look at your Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation, story after story, I'm sure there were not a lot of good feelings, right? Through a lot of the adversity, and wouldn't it be true, a lot of the times where life is hitting you hardest, it's not a great feeling. Our feelings are important to us. They, they help us in life, but they can't always be trusted. And in an area of our faith, often we don't feel very strong in our faith. But it's not faith. Another thing that faith is not is it's not blind optimism. It's, it's not, you know, faith isn't that very bravado or, or macho or kind of just risk taker to say, I'll just do it and God will, God will show up, you know. And it's this optimism, oh, he can do anything. Because that becomes a very, like it says, a blind optimism. And often, I think in times where I've seen people that just do that or I've done that, it's not really God at all. It's just me trying to show that I, I'm a risk taker, right? I'm brave. I can do this. It's not that. It's also not belief that. This one will really hit home. In our culture today, especially here in Green Bay, we're a culture that likes the knowledge. Give me another class. Give me a little bit more about theology and doctrine and about God. But they're all about what we believe that God did these certain things. You see, faith is never measured just in knowledge about God. Remember last week we said, James says, you believe that that God is one? He's, and he's sarcastic. He says, good job. Because demons also believe that God is one. And they actually fear him. You see, knowledge and intellect about God will never be considered saving faith for us. I think that's important this morning that we understand that. We can believe that God is a lot of things. And I believe when I talk to people about their faith, I'll ask them, what's your faith story? Well, here's where I went to church. Here's what I did. I kind of punched the card. I I believe that God's involved in the world. I, I believe that God did certain things. But it's not a belief in A belief in has a faith that has this living response. It's not morality. This is another one that's common. I hear often people believe they have a faith because they believe that God did certain things and they should be good people. I'm not suggesting that you should be immoral and have a faith, but to reduce faith to just saying that you've kind of created a list of bad things that you don't do and so you feel good about yourself is not faith. And, and that's not the measure of faith. And so this morning, just to hear, not a feeling, not blind optimism, not belief that, and not morality. It's also not works. We looked at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and some of you who are new to the church and your faith story is all about merit and cooperation with God, that you have to do certain things to earn heaven. That is not biblical. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's by grace. 
Grace you have not formed. And it's through faith. The scripture we'll see even in Hebrews 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, you can't please God. It's impossible to please him. In order to love God, in order to receive the saving grace of God, you have to have faith. You have to have faith. Oswald Sanders says it this way, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present. Isn't that a great way to say that? To treat the future, what's coming, as right now. And the invisible as seen. Stuff I can't see, but I'm beginning to play it out. It reminds me of the story I read this week from a pastor from Houston. Tells the story as he's looking out his study and the window is looking out his, his big backyard and his five-year-old daughter walks up and says, Daddy, you know, as, as our kids will do, as he's studying, tugging and saying, Daddy, will you build me a dollhouse, you know those like dollhouse playhouses, a full-size one, you know where she can get inside of it and have that. And, and he says, yes, I will do that. He goes on to his study and, and begins to do this and probably didn't think much about that interaction, but he begins to see out of the corner of his eye a little five-year-old girl, his daughter, all of a sudden taking trips back and forth, one trip carrying dishes and plates, the next all the dress-up stuff, the next piling all of this stuff. Concerned now, this guy gets out of his study, this pastor, and goes to his wife and says, what is she doing? What is she doing? He goes, oh. She said, oh. She said she heard, my daddy is going to build me a dollhouse. I'm just getting ready. F friends, faith could be that this little girl did not see the dollhouse, did not understand what it was going to look like, probably envisioned it, but she heard the promise of her father. She heard the promise of her father and began to have a living response of saying, I'm getting ready because it's coming. How many of us are challenged with that picture because we wait for things that are in the future to just play themselves out before we bring out the dishes, before we bring out all of the things that are going to fill the house? You see, the scripture says that we've been promised by God so many things. And he doesn't say wait for that all to happen. He says begin now because I promise that I'm going to hold true. That house will be built. The scripture says that he's building a room. He's building a house, a spiritual house for us in heaven. And he says that life counts and what we do here matters. And so we, like this little girl, should be responding in faith. She didn't see it. She didn't know when it was going to happen. But she was ready to have a living response. It's a beautiful picture of Oswald Sanders' quote. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. What message? And that message, the message is heard through the word about Christ. Part of the reason we gather on Sundays is uh, to experience and to, to grow in the midst of being a part of the body of Christ. Do you realize each of you are important to one another? I'm not more important in this picture. All of us are the same. That rubbing shoulders with one another and the Holy Spirit working through you and talking about God working through you and your life and your faith is important. It's important that we share truth in the scriptures, whether that's in classrooms with kids, whether that's in the lobby as a favorite verse or what God's teaching you. All of these things are important for us because we're hearing the message of what our Father is building. 
When we hear that, we're, we're, we're hearing promises of what he's told us about his character, about his nature. Trisha was reading something, and, and often we'll do that where she'll throw something my way, and I didn't even read it, but she had mentioned Francis Chan just talked about some of what we're falling into in the churches today, that we do so much for this big gathering. We do so much about the, the corporate worship and the corporate programs, but it was a call to, if, if there's true faith, if there's a sense of, of love for God, how much are we inspiring you to be privately earnestly seeking him alone? How much do you open up that Bible in the mornings or in the evenings or throughout the day and say, I long to know more about the house he's building me, more about what he promised, and it inspires you to continue to bring stuff out to the backyard and saying, he's coming. I don't know when. You see, we're going to look at Hebrews, and as our cohort team meets, we just said a faith definition really is about us believing and earnestly seeking it and, and obeying God, no matter what. And that's what we're going to read. We're going to read in Hebrews 11, verse 2 and on through 41, you've got men and women who said, no matter what, I believe. And no matter what, I'm going to earnestly seek and obey whatever he says he's going to do. If he says he's going to build a dollhouse in the back, if he says he's going to build that playhouse in the back, I'm going to begin the process. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now there's faith, faith is confidence in. Remember we talked about that. What is confidence? It's this Greek word that means confidence, assurance, substance. It's the title deed. That little five-year-old girl carries the title. When her daddy said, I will build it, it was like he wrote her a title deed. It's coming and it's yours. And could you, what a great picture. Out the side of his eye seeing dishes and plates being carried with all confidence. Oh, my daddy said he's doing it. It speaks of the ground on which one builds hope. What are you building hope on this morning? Is your hope that your religious activity, your morality, your belief in some intellectual things about God is enough? Friends, the Bible says no. It's a faith that's, that's trusting in what you can't see. You don't, you don't see it yet, but it's a future that's coming, and you begin to live that out. And you don't just live that out on a Sunday. And you don't just live that out with religious things or moral things. You live it out about how you spend your money, how you spend your time, where you give your gifts, how you relate to people, how you reach out to neighbors. It's all over. Remember Kent Hughes, the pastor from Wheaton, said this way. He used the word certitude, defining faith. Absolute certainty or conviction that something is the case. Do you have certitude this morning? Both, we said future and visual. That when you have true faith, you see it not only in the future, but it, it becomes a reality. I'm sure that little girl had dreams of what that house might look like. She was seeing it set up. She might have even placed it in the certain places she thought her daddy was going to build that house around, right? She just saw it come to fruition. Hebrews 11.2 is going to go into now, it's going to say these are what the ancients, Old Testament, and we're not going to deal with the rest of the Old Testament in, in this series. We're going to go basically Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where Jesus talks about faith. So this is a great way for us to get a sweep of Old Testament. And it says that they were commended. What does commended mean? It means to bear witness, to affirm that one has seen or heard 
or experience something, that he knows it because he was given it by divine revelation or inspiration. It's to give and not keep back. Jesus says, when you have faith, it's like a candle in a room, and if a room is dark, why would you cover it? It says they're commended for this. They're, they're, they were given the opportunity to let that light shine. That's what this word really means. It means to utter an honorable testimony, to, to give a good report. So as we see here, 11, 11 verse 2, it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. They, they represented. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was, was visible. I just want to make mention of this, uh, not just because of Haley's class and, and dealing already with, with creation. and uh, Friends, you take creation, you take miracle, you take the spiritual out of our world, the world is trying to figure out how to explain it scientifically. And it doesn't work out. I love this because this Hebrew writer doesn't have microscopes. They don't have telescopes. They don't have electricity. But look what he says. By faith, we understand that the universe, the universe was formed at God's command. We know that whatever we see was made out of what we cannot see. That's a powerful statement for when the Bible was written. It goes on, though, it's going to commend now people that give a living response. And I want you just to kind of let some of these stories settle in. I'm going to give you the text of where they're from. So Abel's the first one. It's in Genesis 4.3. But in verse 4 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. You know, just by glance, you think, then, is this a competition with God? And I've shared with you before, I'm competitive. I think Mike Vandermoss and Kim Seckler might be more competitive than me. Um, I've watched them go at it um, at Shuffleboard this last weekend, but uh, I'm pretty competitive. I told you uh, we would set up Monopoly games with our daughters, and I don't know, but they were ranging from, what, five to ten years old. And I would crush them, and I felt so good about it. <laughs> I, would, I would buy up Park Place and Broadway and charge them large amounts of rent and lease, and Oh, it just felt so good. Um, this is not about competition. This is about heart. It says that Cain and Abel both brought offerings. What's God talking about? He brought a better offering. It was because it was commended as righteous. What does that mean? Cain and Abel both brought something, but one only brought the best. Abel brought his best. I said the last service, I'll say it again, how many of us go through our closets and give stuff to, you don't have to raise your hand, but Goodwill and St. Vinny's, we give it away, and what do you do when you scan, right? You scan it all. What's old? What am I not wearing? What if we did this? What if we took a week at our church and said, all right, what we're going to do is go through our closets and give your favorite and the best. Maybe, maybe the donation week would go down quite a bit, right? Because it would be hard for us to part. What Abel brings is his best. He brings what's most prized and worth friends this morning. This is a, this is a, a biblical story that has modern application. Do you bring God what's left over? 
Do you look at your week as far as volunteering and serving the local body and using your gift? First Corinthians says use your gift, but do you come and say, I only have this many hours left, God. Can, can you just use this hour? How many of you have certain gifts and they're expended all week throughout all the things that you're doing and then it's, I have a little bit of energy left to use this gift. You see, this doesn't just go with finance. This is anything. And the offering that Abel brings, he is commended for because he goes, I'm bringing you my, my best. Here's my best. That's powerful. He was commended as righteous. What's another one? Enoch. Enoch's a great story in the Old Testament. It's, it's one that's a little bit uh, vague in some ways. We don't know much about Enoch except that he didn't die. He so had a faithful walk with God that God was pleased and spared him death and just took him right to heaven. It says he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken away. Therefore, he was taken and he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, this is where the writer says, how did he please God? He did with faith. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Friends, Enoch was faithful. He didn't just have faith one time. And isn't that what we find in, in Christian culture today? We have people that, that step out. They have a, an experience where God meets them and they're overwhelmed with their own sin and brokenness. And they take a step of faith and it might be energetic for a while, but then it kind of wanes. No, it says that Enoch was faithful and walked with God and kept earnestly seeking him. It's a call to question about the living response of our faith. Is it daily? Is it personal? Is it alone? Is it in public? Is it corporately with a church body? Noah. Of course, we have movies that really distort the heck out of all this, and so they're entertaining, but we, you know, Noah in verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. What he had not seen yet? Uh, Noah, there's... Rain is coming and a flood. No, no one knew. And so in holy fear, it says that he builds an ark that's misunderstood by the world. And they don't know how long, but it's less than 75 years, however many years. But I want to give you a, an application this morning that makes sense to this about this kind of faith. Some of you have been called to build an ark in your life. Something God's called you to that... No one else will understand the energy you're going to put into it. None are, nobody's going to understand it. And you may have to not, it's not just a one week and done, but it's going to be 75 years. You may not even see the fruit of what you're building. You know what I immediately thought about as our kids. Some of you, we're all building arcs, aren't we? We're, we're investing in children. We're, we're trying to do that in and as the world may not understand, and the world's saying, why don't you get them to do this and that and let them have this? But we're, we're building arcs, and in some ways it's, it's with a lot of resistance, not just from our kids, but from the world. And some of your kids have gone, and they're out, and they're, they're living their lives, and you're still ark building, right? Because you're still praying for their faith to land. That's a great example, but it could be other things. Maybe God's called you to something, and this picture of Noah is just this great faithfulness, a great faith to trust in something he didn't fully understand. Abraham. Abraham, 
was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I think today it's so weird hearing people talk about where they're going to move to, what job to go to. And again, I'm not discounting any of those processes. But you see how far from the picture we see here, God tells Abraham, go to this place. Never been there, God. That's all right. I don't even know how to get there. That's all right. Just go there. I mean, friends, there's modern stories of men and women who have transformed, they've moved away, they've, they've gone to places, then there's missionary stories. I just read a missionary story this week of he was going to an island of cannibals, and other missionaries had gone there and were served up and were gone, obviously. And so someone said, how is it that you can go to this place? Because you're going to be eaten. You're going to be killed and, and eaten. And he said, whether I'm serving living or served up dead. He said, if God's called me, I'm going to be faithful. I, that's, that is radical living response to faith. Talked to a pastor this week. We were talking. And uh, he's, he's trying to figure out his, he's feeling restless and like it's the next step in his life. And he asked me, it's kind of time, so tell me, how does, that, how does that work? I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, resume and stuff. And I said, I don't know. I've never done that. I've not really, like, done the church resume thing. He says, what do you mean? He goes, you're a community church. I go, honestly, I didn't want the job to community at first. I didn't. I, we moved here, and there's a lot, and, and I'm not giving myself credit for that, but I think we have to begin to think about, if, is our faith around security? Is our faith around the next thing and, and the next paycheck? Or is it around where God's calling you to go? Because if we believe in faith that God is that way, that he knows better than us where we're to be, what job we're to have, don't we trust? Again, not blind trust, not jumping off the cliff, but a prayerful faithfulness. Abraham does that. Not only this, does he's called to go to a foreign country, and it says he lives in tents, and uh, the picture of Abraham's powerful, and it says even his wife Sarah, who is past childbearing, remember they have a child late in their, um, I mean, late, late, and they were enabled to have children, and she's honored because she considers God faithful to do this. It goes on to say that these people, all of these people in the Old Testament, about this idea about living with faith, and they weren't ashamed about where they were being called to go. And it says they did not receive the things they, that was promised. What does that mean? Often in the Old Testament, it'll talk about they've not received the promise that was to come, and it's Jesus. But we know when Christ comes, he, he reaches back, and they will then fully they will be resurrected and they will experience this full promise, but they don't have it at that point, but they're still faithful. Because they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. I mean, it's the picture of this little girl. Daddy's going to build me a house and I'm longing for that. And I'm going I'm to operate and begin to respond because it's coming. It's coming. By faith, again, it continues with Abraham. It says that when he tested it, God tested him, say, offer your son Isaac. Remember that story? Crazy story. 
hard to understand and fathom. I mean, honestly, if I had said to you, hey, God told me, guys, sorry, pastor of community church, I'm supposed to take one of my daughters, you know, up to Surgeon Bay, and there's a sacrifice hill there, uh, you'd be calling the cops, right? You might, like right now, you'd be arresting me on stage. I mean, I don't even get this story. It's, it's hard to, to fathom that reality. The faithfulness, no matter what. Friends, all throughout the Old Testament, there are men and women that operated with this kind of a living response to faith. Uh, uh, they didn't see it, but they trusted it was coming. They knew it was there. It goes on to talk about Isaac and Jacob. Not great stories. Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And you may think, why is God proud of them for blessing his sons? It's because Isaac is blessing his sons in according to God. My daddy told me he's building that house. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. And I'm going to bless you that you're going to be a part of an owner in that house also. And in faith, he passes that on to his kids. I think of just our modern world. How many of you are passing a faith on to your kids? How many of us are sitting with our children saying, know the promise is coming. Know the, the house will be built. My daddy said so. It's coming. Joseph. Joseph, brothers from different mothers, uh, if you know the story, uh, there was, he had the, the different mothers and they were kind of at war. And so there was a lot of tension in that family. Talk about a blended family problem. They, they had it. And remember, Joseph's brothers said, we're tired of you, this young one who's spoiled. They throw him in a well, try to kill him. And then they sell him to slavery. And we see this story of Joseph. It says, when, when his end was near, he spoke about the exodus. All throughout his life, God honored him despite the persecution. And he lived... Um, in Egypt, and he brought his family there, and we find that that will grow the nation of Israel. And yet he tells them there will be a time that God will rescue us. He passes on this, it's coming, it's coming. If we were to add this story of this little girl, it would be like if she grew up fully at old age, a full life, and the house was not built yet. But then she empowered her kids to say, Keep bringing stuff out because the, the house is going to be built. Moses. By faith, Moses, his parents hid him for three months after he was born. It gives us this picture that his parents, in faith, put him in a basket and just said, we trust God that you're going to take care of them. I mean, in some ways, sending our kids off. I mean, Haley this week it was like in a basket. There they go. And it's with every kid. It's with, it's, it's with a lot of things in our life, right? We're like, oh, man, here we go. God, take care of them. It tests our faith. It tests our, the depth and the trust we have in a God that says, I love your kids better than you do. We find that they were not afraid of the king's orders and the king's demands. And they just rebelled. And they said, we're not going to kill the male children. It goes on to say that, by faith, Moses, when he grows up, refused to be a son of Pharaoh, a Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. God honors 
than when, when we choose faithfulness, when we choose the laws and the character and the things that he's called us to. It's not like we get credit and God goes, oh, good job. It's, but he's, when we begin to trust him, you see that? I'm not doing it to earn merit from God. I'm doing it because I, my daddy has called me to that, and I'm doing it. And he's pleased because we, we do it for him. It's so different than following just rules in religion. It's about a love for our Father. It says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than treasures of Egypt. Did you read that line? Let me read that again. Moses regards disgrace for the case of Christ, or the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. How does he know? He doesn't say Jesus, his name, but Christ means Messiah or Savior. He knows there's one coming. He knows that in the scope of, of all of life and history, he plays a part. And maybe he just brings out the dishes, but he's to pass on to the next generation, and you'll bring out the playthings. And the next generation will bring out stuff, but we are a part of this faith story, and you're a part of it. It says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Sometimes it's hard in our faith, isn't it? Because we, we can't see God necessarily physically with our eyes. We could say we see God's activity. We could feel sometimes his presence. But it really is a measure of faith to begin to live as if we see him visibly. Live as if we know with surety or certitude. This is what Moses had. By faith he kept the Passover. Remember the lamb over the doorpost. Uh, and, and that will be a picture of, of Jesus coming one day and the blood on the cross that will sacrifice for our sin. It's why we take communion. And then look, by faith you pass, the people pass through the, the Red Sea. Many would say this is a picture of what's to come as baptism. We're going to do that this morning. The Red Sea is this picture of baptism. It's, it's a picture of us Dying and surrendering and going in the water and, and coming out as new people, as resurrected with Christ. That doesn't save us. It's a symbolic picture of what's going on in the inside of our lives. We get to express publicly. Joshua, military leader that's told, hey, throw out that whole military strategy you had about spears and bow and arrow and rams to go through the gates. Nope. Just walk around the city for seven days quietly, and then we're going to have a worship session. We're going to either sing so bad or loudly, all the walls are going to fall down. Rahab, beautiful story. Such a great picture of the reality of you think that God is, is trying to get you to be more moral, to balance the scales. Boy, look at this picture by faith. The prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. God honored her risking because she believed that these were representing God. I'm going to trust. You see, God's the one that's supposed to eradicate the sin, not us. Our works don't do that. He says, I'm considering what's righteous is your act of faith, your response. There were others. There's Gideon, there's Barak, there's Samson, there's Jephthah, all who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. We could go on. 
It says also there were women, not just men, but men and women all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament that God honored their faith because it had a response. Verse 39, toward the end of the chapter, all these were commended for their faith. Yet none of them had received what had been promised. They didn't know Jesus yet. And since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect, that's a great picture of what's to come. No matter what, no matter how many generations are bringing out stuff to the backyard to fill that dollhouse and that playhouse, we know one day we'll all be together celebrating in it. This is the picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. We said it last week, I'll say it again, faith is the only thing through faith that we're allowed to have salvation. Faith in ourselves doesn't save us. It's faith in who? The grace given by God through Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in God. That gives us salvation, but not salvation alone. It also gives us a life that responds in works. Works don't give us salvation. Works are simply a living response of our lives profoundly and, and in so intimately affected that we can't help but express it. We can't help but want to live out what God has said. Our daddy said he's building a house, therefore I'm going to begin to respond now. How many of you this morning keep waiting. You say you have faith, but there is no response. Response really for you might be is getting up in the morning and coming to a service. But God wants so much more from your faith than that. He wants you earnestly seeking him in the morning and in the evening. He wants you to 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 passionately want to obey him, not out of obligation, but out of love for him. He, he wants you to begin to bring out everything you got. So many of us are waiting. Just tell me what's on the other side. I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit because I, I, I need a little bit more. Impalas are an amazing animal in the African continent. Do you know that they can jump over 10 feet and 30 feet in, in their jump? Do you know what it takes to keep them captive in a zoo? A three-foot wall. Why? Because when the three-foot wall and they can't see where their feet are going to land, they never jump. I think there are a lot of people today that say they have faith, but really it's not. Because they're so, they want so, so importantly to know what's on the other side. But when you have faith, there is a trust that God has said he's building the house. And I'm leaping. This morning we have this great expression and response. We do communion often here, but every six weeks we'll do around, around here the response, a living response of baptism. Now, just for clarity, some of you have been infant baptized, very different. Nowhere in the scripture does it say to be infant baptized. 
We don't see that as a bad thing, but we see infant baptism as more of an offering to God of a child, of saying, God, we, we say this is yours. Much like Abraham says to, about Isaac, saying, this is yours, and I want to raise this child well. But baptism, Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and baptize everyone. Philip gets transported to meet a eunuch who knows he has a belief that God did certain things. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he understands all these these passages, but he has no relationship. He just believes the knowledge about that. And so he's reading it, and Philip says, can I explain it to you? He explains the scriptures, and you know what immediately the response is? He shuts the scriptures and says, there's water. Can I... Can I be baptized? Can I express a living response of my faith? Being baptized is not about cleansing your sin. It's not about getting saved. It's a product, a result, an obedient living response of your faith of being saved. This morning, if you did not sign up for baptism, don't worry, most people don't. But there's a spirit in this place and that God's starting to poke at you and saying, respond. Today could be your living response. The scripture says that we're to publicly, in front of others, begin to respond. And one way is through baptism. It's saying, show the world that you have joined yourself with me. By going in the water, you are symbolizing that you have died with me, that the sin in your life has been washed over by the sacrifice that I've made. That's what Jesus calls us to. And so baptism's been done for centuries. And so if you want to be baptized this morning, you simply go to the elders and they're going to ask if you know Jesus. And if you don't this morning, you can, just through a prayer of surrender, ask Christ, have faith in Christ. And maybe God's prodding you this morning to do that. But around here, we love to worship around it because watching living response is awesome, isn't it? It's an amazing, so encouraging to find other people that start to have faith with you. And if this morning, no matter what your age or where you're at, if you are being prompted by the Spirit, just walk up to the elders. They'll ask a couple questions. They'll give you a shirt that says, I'm awake. And around here, we love to celebrate people that wake up. Amen? So feel freedom to respond how you will and cheer. Will you stand with me and celebrate? I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, we pray right now that your spirit, your hand, is at work in this room for those who need to step forward with a living response. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody in the village that wants to get baptized, just come right up the hallway.